Hello and welcome to episode number 55 of the Draft Addicts, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Chris Tricotti of DraftAnalyst.com, and I'm joined by Tony Pauline. And Tony, we're officially through the first round of this year's NFL Draft. Did it live up to all your hopes and dreams? Uh, in some ways, yes. In some ways, it was rather surprising. In some ways, I was pleasantly surprised being right. And in some ways, I was way off and kind of cringed when some of the picks came in. But that's the way it is every single year with the draft. Absolutely. And we'll start at the top with really the surprise of all surprises as Arizona selected Oklahoma quarterback Kyler Murray, number one overall. We more or less knew this was coming. We've been talking about it for months at this point. Every single one of our podcasts over the past several weeks has had some sort of mention of Kyler Murray, Josh Rosen, and the Arizona Cardinals. In the end, Drafting Murray brings an intriguing playmaker to the desert, but obviously this pick doesn't come without some risk as well. Ultimately, Tony, what are your thoughts on Murray to Arizona? Well, first thing is, is we mapped this whole thing out from the get-go on this podcast. From the time that I posted a tweet and a story, a corresponding story from the combine that uh, Cliff Kingsbury was telling everybody that Kyler Murray to the uh, Arizona Cardinals was a done deal with the first pick, to some of the questions that the owners were concerned about a couple of weeks ago, to the fact that, you know, we had said earlier yesterday on our draft day podcast that it was a situation where it was too far gone with Josh Rosen. They could not bring him back. And that's what the guys on NFL Network were saying is you're way too past the point of return with Josh Rosen. What do I think? I don't like the, I don't like it. I mean, you, you know, they're going to have trouble trading Josh Rosen now because the quarterback needy teams, the Giants and the Redskins, selected quarterbacks. What I've said all along, including the, our podcast yesterday, this is a situation where Kyler Murray is going to quickly be forced into the starting lineup. And if they do not play good football in 2019, you're going to see a lot of people in that organization get fired at the end of the uh, year. They're either going to look like geniuses or this is going to tear the franchise apart and have uh, lasting effects. Yeah, it'll really be interesting to see what happens with this. Obviously, now they've lost a lot of leverage in Josh Rosen trade talks. Maybe Miami is still a partner, but we'll leave some spoilers out for later here. San Francisco was next on the clock at number two. Now, the 49ers drafted Eric Armstead out of Oregon in 2015, DeForest Buckner in 2016, and Solomon Thomas in 2017. That's three defensive linemen in the past four rounds, four first rounds, rather, for the Niners. Thomas was reportedly put on the trading block early Thursday, kind of telegraphed what the Niners might do here if they didn't trade. And in fact, they did take Ohio State pass rusher Nick Bosa, one of the clear-cut top two players in this draft class, a guy who plays both the run and the pass extremely well. Didn't play much this season, only three games due to injury, and then leaving the program to finish recovery and train for the draft. Tony, what are your overall feelings on the Bosa pick? No surprise here. In fact, I think that the Boza pick, as we spoke about on this podcast, was more of a sure thing than Kyler Murray going to Arizona. As we said, they did trade for D Ford, but the contract that they signed D Ford to was a team-friendly contract, and they can basically get out of it after a year. As you said, Solomon Thomas was on the trading block. Listen, they got a great player that fits a need, and he's probably the safest player in this draft. So really, that's a trifecta for San Francisco. It was a no-brainer as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. And speaking of safe players, our hometown New York Jets came onto the clock at number three after the Niners. Now, there was plenty of chatter that they were looking to move down. They were desperate to trade the pick. And there were even reports earlier Thursday that they had a trade in place if Quinn and Williams out of Alabama was available, possibly with the Buffalo Bills, who were picking number nine. Now, if that was true, the Jets ultimately decided against pulling the trigger, and they did select Alabama's stud defensive tackle with the third pick. Now, Williams was the top player on our board and many other boards as well. 
This situation is strikingly similar to Leonard Williams falling to the Jets at number six overall in 2015 when he was arguably the best overall player that year as well. Tony, are you surprised by this? Yes and no. I mean, we talked this morning, uh, we talked yesterday morning, draft day morning, about how it may have been difficult for the Jets to trade that pick. And it was, I think, because a lot of people did not regard Dwayne Haskins all that highly. And again, you know, if there was a trade in place for the Buffalo Bills, they can't blame the Jets for backing out. You don't want to trade with a, uh, a division rival. That would be kind of crazy. It'll be interesting to see, see what happens over the course of the next couple of days if there were any offers given to the Jets. And I agree with you. This reminds me a lot of 2015 when Leonard Williams fell to the Jets' laps. They really didn't need a defensive lineman, but he was the best player on the board. And they selected him. So you got to give the Jets credit there. They still need a pass rusher. You know, they still need other positions, starters at other positions. They now don't have a second round pick. I will tell you this. I have heard since free agency that there is a big rift or there was a big rift between general manager Mike McCagan and Adam Gase, the head coach. They were not seeing eye to eye. There were some sore feelings when specific free agents were not signed. Gase wanted uh, guys to come in and be signed like Daniel Fells. There was the whole Matt Paradis situation. I'm told that they were on completely different paths. Mike McCagnan is a very low-key guy. The complaint about Mike McCagnan that I've learned from insiders is he can't make a decision. And then Adam Gase is just the opposite. I mean, he's an A-type personality who's used to being in control and used to making decisions. I'm told a week ago that there was a meeting of the minds to try and bring these guys together. But really... Through the, free agent, uh, through the free agent period, up until last week, there was a big rift. And this did not just come from one source. This actually started, I heard this initially at the start of uh, free agency. There were about five or six different people who told me this. It kind of built up steam today when someone made a comment about it. And I looked further into it. And a source that's very close to the situation said, yeah, there was this huge rift. They had a meeting of the minds. I guess uh, Adam Gase on Monday was very complimentary of Mike McCagnan because he said that uh, Mike asked him to look at film and talk about the prospects. But it remains to be seen what happens moving forward with the Jets. They got the best player. I think they wanted to trade down. It'll be interesting to see if there were any offers given to them. Absolutely. And we'll certainly see some reports coming out over the next few days and we can kind of gauge the value that those trade offers might have provided for the Jets in this situation. Moving on to the number four pick here where the Raiders really threw the first curveball of the draft, and they surprised most by taking Clemson edge rusher Cleland Farrell. Now, Tony, this is one of your favorite players in this year's draft. He was a consistent producer for the Tigers from the word go at the outset of his college career. Now, Farrell was seventh ranked on our board, so even though you like him and you like him more than most, how do you feel about him going fourth overall? Listen, I love it. I've said for months now in radio interviews, especially the past three days, that I thought Cleveland Farrell was the most underrated player in this year's draft. Early in January, I had Cleveland Farrell mocked to the New York Jets at number three. In fact, uh, I was quoted in an article by Rich Stamini saying that I thought that Cleveland Farrell would finally solve the Jets' pass rush problems since John Abraham went to Atlanta. He's a guy that people have manufactured holes in his game. Like you said, he was a productive player at Clemson for three years, did nothing but make plays in the backfield, an outstanding athlete. 
athlete who can get out in space in pursuit. You know, you go back to that national title game, and for most of that game, he owned Jonah Williams. I love this kid. Uh, I've said all along, I thought he was this year's version of Deron Payne, where a year ago I had Deron Payne graded as a top eight pick. Everybody was poking holes in his game. He ended up going in the middle of round one, had a terrific rookie season for the Washington Redskins. I have no vested interest in this other than my opinion, and I was ecstatic when the when the Raiders took him at four. It definitely makes you look good as somebody who had Farrell rated highly, and then obviously Farrell goes very high. Now, a pick that wasn't such a curveball was the fifth overall pick to the Tampa Bay Bucks. here. They selected Devin White, who was very popular in mock drafts to the Bucks. That came to fruition with them taking him out of LSU. White ran a 4-4-2 at the combine. He plays fast on tape as well. Great athlete overall with excellent production the past two seasons. Player who can go sideline to sideline, rush the passer, rush the passer, and also play in coverage. He's our fifth-ranked player here, fifth overall pick. So Tony, it's perfect value, right? Absolutely. And again, this is another no-brainer that everybody expected. I mean, he's the perfect replacement for Quan Alexander. Oh, they lost in free agency. I think he's going to be a day one starter, and I think he's going to be a good player for uh, years to come. So it's what everybody expected. Good for the Tampa Bay's. I think they got themselves an outstanding linebacker. Now we move on to number six with the other New York team here, the Giants. Now they've been sending mixed signals as far as which players they liked, which quarterbacks they liked. For the first time in a while, I feel like nobody really knew what the Giants were thinking. Now we ultimately know who they like the most, and it was Daniel Jones out of Duke. Now, this pick has been widely knocked with Dwayne Haskins still on the board. Jones was our fourth-rated quarterback behind Haskins, Murray, and Missouri's Drew Locke. So, Tony, uh, how bad of a reach is this? You know, I was surprised. I I like Daniel Jones. In my mock draft, I actually had the Giants taking Daniel Jones, but with the 17th pick. I think this is way too early. I think the Giants either should have, one, looked into trading down from the sixth pick to take Daniel Jones or looked looked to move up uh, from that 17th pick. In fact, I thought that there was a chance they could move from 17 to 13 where the uh, Miami Dolphins were to take Daniel Jones. I like Daniel Jones as a quarterback. As I've been saying all along, I think he's very underrated. I don't think he gets the credit he's due. He doesn't have the physical skills of Haskins or Kyler Murray or Drew Locke. But the fact is this. He didn't have the receivers that that Dwayne Haskins had at Ohio State. He didn't have the offensive lineman blocking for him that Kyler Murray had at Oklahoma. He has one guy on his offense, Daniel Helm, who will receive an undrafted free agent contract. Nobody else on that Duke offense is going to get drafted this year or in years to come. He was the guy, and we talked about him during the Clemson game. You know, he was getting the, he would constantly get the crap beat out of him. He'd pull himself off the field. He'd get back in the huddle, and he'd keep his team in the game. It's a good pick for the Giants in the sense that he doesn't have to start right away. Eli Manning can finish out his career, and they can groom Daniel Jones behind Eli Manning. But I absolutely agree. The sixth selection of the draft was too early for Daniel Jones. And hey, at the very least, Daniel Jones and Eli Manning can share David Cutcliffe's stories and, and really bond over that. And maybe as a result, Manning takes him under his wing a little and, and helps him kind of learn the ropes of the league. Yeah, absolutely. And again, he's a smart kid, Daniel Jones. So I think he's going to pick up things quickly. Listen, the only problem I have with this pick is I think they selected him five to six selections too early. I would have liked to seen them broach a trade down or, like I say, move up from that 17th spot to take him. 
Absolutely. The draft is all about manipulating value. And as we move on to the seventh overall pick with the Jacksonville Jaguars, they seem to kind of do just that. The team that was in need of another pass rusher. And after the Jets and the Raiders both passed on Kentucky's Josh Allen, the Jags were probably pretty happy that Allen fell into their laps. Allen had a massive breakout season in 2018 with 17 sacks. He was ranked fourth on our board. Obviously a very athletic player. How much do you like this pick for Jacksonville, Tony? I think that they were surprised that he was there. My concern is Jacksonville plays a 4-3. And I like Josh Allen as a pass rusher in a 3-4. I don't know how he's going to do with his hand in the ground. I think he'll be a good pass rusher, but I think he's going to get exploited against the run. I think because, I, again, I've talked about this with Fran Duffy during the uh, Journey to the Draft podcast. If you watch the film, he gets manhandled by tight ends against the run. So... I don't know how they're going to protect him in that aspect. I don't think they expected him to be there, and they thought it was great value. I thought some of the offensive linemen would have been better fits for them. You know, it's a good value pick, but I am very cautious specifically because of the system that Jacksonville plays, and I don't think it's a good fit for Josh Allen. Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to see how he does fit there because he's definitely more of a 3-4 outside linebacker. big reason the Jets were interested in him at number three is because he was going to fit the attacking Greg Williams style of defense. So it will be interesting to see what he ends up doing in Jacksonville. We'll move on to the eighth pick here, which saw the first skill player come off the board with the Detroit Lions taking tight end TJ Hawkinson out of Iowa. Now, teammate and fellow tight end Noah Fant was widely considered the top prospect at the position before the season started, but Hawkinson really surpassed him in 2018. Now Detroit adds him. They also added free agent Jesse James as well, so they signed two tight ends, or added two tight ends, rather, in the span of two months. Good fit here, Tony? Ah, surprising. I mean, I like Hawkinson, but when you had Ed Oliver on the board, you had some of the other offensive linemen on the board. Uh, I I thought it was a little bit surprising that uh, they took Hawkinson. You know, this was rumored to be the pick uh, for the longest time. The Detroit Lions fans had talked about it. I I heard about it when I was interviewed on the Detroit radio. I thought maybe Rashawn Gary, but there was the question mark about his shoulder. Listen, Hawkinson's a terrific player. I just thought that Ed Oliver and Rashawn Gary would have been better value and probably would have been better picks. We'll see. They're going to get a lot out of Hawkinson. That's it. But you have to, you're going to have to compare how Hawkinson does over the course of his career versus how Ed Oliver and Rashawn Gary do. Now, speaking of Ed Oliver, the Bills' interest in the Houston defensive tackle was well-known, and they confirmed that interest by drafting him ninth overall. He was ranked third on our board, a player who really crushed the combine, an explosive three-technique tackle who made an immediate impact as a freshman with the Cougars, a highly touted recruit who performed on the field and really lived up to the expectations that he had heading into his college career. This is a home run for the Bills, right, Tony? Absolutely. Listen, I I tweeted when the Bills were on the clock, that every player that they were interested in was still available. And we talked a couple of weeks ago about how the three players that the Bills liked included Andre Dillard, left tackle from Washington State, Jonah Williams, and Ed Oliver. The question was, was Oliver going to fall to them? He did. They picked him up. I mean, he's a great fit for the system. You talked about his combine. You remember his pro day numbers, which we broke on draftanalyst.com. Exceptional three cone times, exceptional short shuttle times. And he plays to that speed on the field. He's got that great change of direction. He's got that great speed in pursuit. Listen, if you're a Buffalo Bills fan, I still have my concerns about their offensive line, especially protecting Josh Allen. But if you're a Buffalo Bills fan, you got to be really excited about this selection. Yeah, and you mentioned kind of the the testing and just the 
athleticism that Oliver has shown. He was a guy that people were talking about before they realized he was going to come in in the 280s. People were thinking, oh, he's small. He could play linebacker. And he has the athleticism to do that, but he also has the size to be a nice disruptive force on the interior. So that's going to be a very nice pick for Buffalo here. Moving on to the 10th pick, we got our first trade of the night, despite several rumors that teams were going to trade out of the top three, specifically the Niners and the Jets. It didn't happen. First trade didn't come until the 10th overall pick, which had the Steelers trading their number 20 and number 52 picks this year, along with a 2020 third rounder to the Denver Broncos to move up and draft Michigan linebacker Devin Bush. Now, we talked about Bush going number 10 overall in our podcast earlier Thursday, but it was to Denver, not to Pittsburgh. You said that that pick would shock you. Did this one shock you? It was much earlier than I thought Devin Bush would go. But let's go back to our podcast, which was right after the uh, Michigan Pro Day. And if you remember, I had said that somebody who was at the uh, Pro Day told me it looked like the Pittsburgh Steelers had their entire coaching staff there and their entire front office there for Devin Bush. And that's the guy that they love. So they made the move to get up and get him. It's a little bit early as far as I'm concerned. But, you know, they had to replace Ryan Shazier. We talked about the love that the Pittsburgh Steelers were showing for Devin Bush after his pro day workout. So the pieces fit together in that aspect of it. Absolutely. And he is a fast linebacker. Once they lost Shazier, they really lost a lot of their speed on defense and watched their run defense fall apart. Obviously, Bush is a little bit on the smaller side, but it'll be interesting to see if he can replace even 80% of what Shazier brought to that defense. And if he can, it probably ends up being a good pick, even if they paid a pretty penny to get him on the roster. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, he's he's he is definitely a Pittsburgh Steelers type of linebacker. He's fast. He's explosive. He's really nasty. He goes very hard. So, again, it may have been a little bit early as far as my board's concerned. But when you look at everything else, the pieces perfectly fit. Now, we've been somewhat down on Alabama's Jonah Williams at points throughout the draft process. The Bengals needed offensive line help. They were picking number 11, and they got it with the Alabama product. Now, we've said all along that while his upside may not be great and he may not be a left tackle long term, he was one of the draft safer picks. He has a lot of versatility along the offensive line. He keeps very detailed notes on his opponents. He's obviously a cerebral and heady player. But, Tony, how do you feel about this fit for Jonah Williams in Cincinnati? Well, uh, Jonah Williams kind of went in the range that I thought he was going to go. I thought maybe Green Bay would take him at 12 if he was available. I've stayed all along that I didn't think he was a top 10 pick and he turned out to be the 11th choice. I thought that Andre Dillard would have been the better selection for Cincinnati, but you know, you can't go wrong with Jonah Williams. I'm assuming that they're going to put him at left tackle, or at least they're going to try him at left tackle. He's going to be a very good pro at the next level. I just don't know that it's going to be at the left tackle position. That remains to be seen. Now, the 12th pick was a polarizing one with the Packers taking Rashawn Gary out of Michigan. They also announced him as a linebacker, which I found very interesting. Obviously, the debate with Gary throughout the draft process has been traits versus production. Obviously, with him, the traits are off the charts. He was the top high school recruit in his class, but he had just 10 and a half sacks in three seasons with the Wolverines. In the end, he did rank eighth on our board. This does look like good value then, right, Tony? It does from a value point of view, but from a fit point of view, I don't understand it because the Packers did a sensational job in free agency signing, you know, Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith. I don't know if you're going to shift Gary inside to defensive tackle. You said they announced him as a linebacker. It's usually tough to get 275 pound guys to play linebacker, no matter how athletic they are. The Jets talked about that, or we talked, it was talked about with Ed Oliver. You know, the Jets had no success with that with guys like Quentin Williams. 
I think it's good value. I was surprised that Green Bay went in this direction, especially after the knockout job that they did in free agency signing pass rushers in that front seven. I, I just question moving. You know, Rashawn Gary looks like he's going to be an outstanding defensive end. Defensive end in a four-man front, eventually defensive end in a three-man front. You know, why are you going to move him around and kind of fix what ain't broke? Never mind the fact that he's got the shoulder issue. Yeah, and obviously they really felt the need to hammer that edge position, as you mentioned, both Preston and Zadarius Smith, two guys that we discussed as key points of emphasis for the Packers throughout the offseason. That ended up coming to fruition. Obviously, they're really focusing on that, so we'll see how it does work out for them. Things really worked out for Miami if you thought they wanted a quarterback, because they came onto the clock at number 13. Dwayne Haskins was still on the board. But instead of grabbing the Ohio State signal caller, the Dolphins went with the second Clemson defensive lineman of the draft and took Christian Wilkins, who was the highest ranked player left on our board at the time of the pick. We had him one spot ahead of Cleveland Farrell. Should really be a nice, solid player on the inside of Miami's defensive line. How much do you like this pick, Tony? Well, you know, early on, Chris, in some of my first mock drafts, I had Christian Wilkins going to the Miami Dolphins. Wilkins is an outstanding player. He really deserved top 10 consideration in this draft. I think if they get him to hit on all cylinders, they get a guy that's going to be a menacing force in the middle of the defensive line for a long time to come. It fits a need, and they got an excellent player. Now, a couple of things. You know, I've heard that the Miami Dolphins all along, they liked Tua Tagliavoa uh, in the 2020 draft. That's probably one of the reasons why they passed up on Dwayne Haskins. I don't know that that makes much sense because you don't know how Tagliafoe is going to play next year. You don't know if you're going to be in a position to draft him. I just don't know that you pass up a very good quarterback in this year's draft because you expect to get a guy next year. And remember, Chris, what I mentioned during our podcast on draft day, I've been told that the Miami Dolphins are one of the sleeper teams who may be interested in trading for Josh Rosen. Now that the Giants are out of the Josh Rosen sweepstakes, the Redskins are out of the Josh Rosen sweepstakes, you know, if Miami wants to go in that direction, it's probably not going to cost them a lot. Yeah, they might be the only team left. And if it only costs them a second-round pick or even a third-round pick, I mean, you saw what the Browns did a couple years ago drafting Deshaun Kaiser in the second round. The next year came around, they had the first overall pick, and they said, you know what? We didn't invest that much draft capital in Deshaun Kaiser. We're going to take Baker Mayfield and now they have their franchise quarterback. It took them a couple tries, but they finally have their guy. The Dolphins can justify that next year if they acquire Rosen, if he doesn't work out, and they end up with a very high pick, and they do like to attack Villoa or Justin Herbert or whoever it may be. They can justify it far more than, say, Arizona can justify what they did taking a quarterback in the first round in back-to-back years. A quarterback that they traded up to get and then paid a a signing bonus of almost $11 million. It's amazing what's happened to Josh Rosen, the Josh Rosen saga. I mean, he was graded as the number one quarterback prospect on a lot of boards last year, including the one at DraftAnalyst.com that we have in what was a quarterback-rich year. And, you know, it's questionable as to whether he, where he'll have, if or not, he's going to have a place to play in the near future. It's very interesting, and you know, whichever team can get the opportunity to trade for Josh Rosen, they're going to get a lot of upside and really not much risk based on what they're going to have to pay, both financially and in terms of draft capital. Now, we reported that the Falcons were interested in trading up from the number 14 pick. Their target was Ed Oliver, and if Oliver was gone, we said that they were going to be looking at Christian Wilkins. Obviously, Miami kind of foiled those plans here. With both players gone, Atlanta turned to the other side of the trenches and went with Chris Lindstrom out of Boston College. 
that we discussed Lynch from Thursday morning on our draft day podcast and talked about how teams liked him because they felt he was a safe pick, especially compared to guys like Juwan Taylor and Cody Ford, who were still on the board when the Falcons made this pick. I know that Lindstrom is a second rounder on our board, Tony, but how do you feel about this? Shocked. I mean, I'm just wondering if they were thrown for a loop after Christian Wilkins was selected the pick before them. I'm surprised that if they really wanted an offensive lineman, we had Cody Ford, much higher rated, who can play guard or right tackle. I talked about Dexter Lawrence moving up draft boards. I thought that he would have been a possibility for Atlanta. They didn't take him. He was taking a few uh, selections later. You know, I, I said that the hype on Chris Lindstrom was not real, that he was a fringe first-round pick. Obviously, I was wrong. I like Chris Lindstrom a lot. I, I mean, I, I think he's a solid player. He's a versatile player. I just don't like him as the 14th pick of the draft. And I'm wondering, you know, if Atlanta panicked, if they were thrown for a loop when Christian Wilkins was off the board or what was going on. I know they're going to justify the pick somehow, but I still think it's way too early. I had a similar feeling when I saw that pick and recognized what had happened before and said, hey, you know, maybe they just weren't prepared for the situation and they decided that they were going to fortify their offensive line. It's not that Lindstrom's a bad player, kind of like the Daniel Jones discussion, just that the value may not be there with the pick. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and as we said on our draft day podcast, people liked him because he was a safe pick. They knew what they were getting for him. You know, maybe that's what Atlanta liked. Maybe that's why they liked him over Cody Ford of Oklahoma, who's got weight issues, who gets a little bit too big. But still, I mean, at, at least consider trading down or look into the possibilities of trading down. Absolutely. The draft is all about manipulating value. And moving on to the next team here, the Washington Redskins, who we discussed as no longer needing a quarterback and out of the Josh Rosen sweepstakes. That's because they ended up with Dwayne Haskins at the 15th overall pick. Obviously, lately, there have been rumors swirling that owner Dan Snyder was taking over the war room, that there was division between uh, you know, him and Bruce Allen, who like Dwayne Haskins, some of the coaches or other front office personnel like Daniel Jones. The Giants took that decision away from the Redskins. In this case, probably a good thing that they did. Washington ended up getting Haskins as the third quarterback off the board. Now, he was our top-rated quarterback, and it's really rare that you see a quarterback get taken with a later pick than where we had them ranked on our overall board because quarterbacks go way higher than generally they are graded. We had Haskins rated 10th. The Redskins get him 15th. So the Skins finally did something right, even if by accident. Hey, good for them. It's a great pick for them. I'm glad to see it. I thought Haskins was a bit underrated. I didn't think he deserved to slide this far in the draft. I just hope they coach him properly, they develop him properly, and they're going to have a good quarterback on their hands for a long time to come. I would like to know, and I don't know that I ever, will ever find out, what their interest was in Josh Rosen and why you know, they moved away from that interest in Josh Rosen. That's something uh, we'd like to find out. And again, you know, you're going to have to compare this pick to see what happens with Josh Rosen's career, wherever he may end up. Absolutely. Now, Carolina closed out the first half of the first round at number 16 overall by taking edge rusher Brian Burns out of Florida State. Now, Burns has great length, speed, and explosiveness, but he weighed in under 250 pounds at the combine. He will need to add strength and improve his play against the run, but he's very productive as a pass rusher for the Seminoles and really has all the traits you want in a guy at that position. I had them taking Cleveland Farrell in my mock draft. Brian Burns is a terrific pass rusher. He gets up the field. He's very athletic. He's explosive. My concern with Brian Burns is similar to my concern with, with Josh Allen. 
I don't know how he's going to do against the run in a four-man front. I like him better standing up over tackle. I think what you get from him in pass rush ability, you're going to give a lot of way in run defense, especially with Burns. If you watch Burns, yeah, he's got a nice inside move on occasion, but he likes to take a lot of wide angles around blockers. Not going to be able to do that on Sunday. Now, we'll get to the back half of the first round in just a moment here. But first, please support the draft analyst by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of the big podcast platforms. You can also find us at Believe.com. Leave us a rating and a review. And if you have any questions you want answered on the show, tweet us at Chris Tripodi, at Tony Pauline, at Draft Analyst One, and at Believe Podcast to get in touch with the show. Now, the Giants were back on the clock with the 17th overall pick, and they took a player that we mentioned a bit ago, and that was Dexter Lawrence out of Clemson, the third Tigers defensive lineman to go in the top 17 picks here. Now, Lawrence is big. He's over 342 pounds. He's a disruptive player in the middle. He must learn to really tap into his upside. He got suspended, obviously, for the college football playoff after he tested positive for performance-enhancing drugs, but teams in general were very comfortable with taking him and with the reasoning he gave for that. Tony, what do you think of this pick for the Giants? Interesting. You know, I like Dexter Lawrence a lot. We had mentioned in the weeks leading up to the draft that he was rising up draft boards. A lot of people had him in the uh, mid-20s. He obviously went much earlier than a lot of people expected. You know, it'll be interesting to see how the Giants use him, you know, because they play basically a 3-4 type of system. Are they going to put him at defensive tackle? Or they play a a three-man front. Are they going to put him at defensive tackle? If, instead of Olsen Pierre, are they going to move Davlin Tomlinson to defensive end or, or to uh, the, the two-gap end in the three-man front and then move Dexter Lawrence uh, onto the nose tackle spot? It'll be interesting to see uh, how they use him. Listen, I like Dexter Lawrence, and the fact is this. If he puts the pedal to the metal and he concentrates on football, the sky's the limit for this guy because while you know we talked about Wilkins and everyone knows my love for Cleveland Farrell, this guy's got the size, he's got the athleticism, he's got greater upside than any of those other Clemson guys. It's just a matter of him applying himself. Now the Vikings came onto the clock at number 18, and they're a team that really needed offensive line help, and they had several options here. I know you mentioned on a Minnesota radio station earlier Thursday that the Vikings might be interested in trading up for Andre Dillard. Now, Andre Dillard was available for them with this pick, but instead they went with Garrett Bradbury out of NC State, the center. Now, he was not graded very highly entering the season, but really excelled throughout the draft process, looked good at the senior bowl, really has good upside at the center position. What do you think about this fit for Minnesota? I'm a little bit surprised they didn't go with Andre Dillard when you consider Riley Reesage. But Garrett Bradbury, as you said, he, he's been terrific. We knew he was going to be a first-rounder. He was hands down the top center uh, in the draft. They got Pat Elfine there. I wonder what they're going to do if they're going to move Elfine to guard. Bradbury, in a lot of ways, reminds me of Nick Mangold. He's uh, flexible. He's athletic. He's explosive. He's smart. Very effective on the second level. Just has to improve his finishing strength and his run-blocking strength. I understand the pick. I think it's a good pick for him. I think that uh, Bradbury will be a day-one starter for him. We'll move on here to the 19th overall pick where a player was taken who may not make an impact this season. That's Jeffrey Simmons out of Mississippi State. He went to the Tennessee Titans, a team that is interested in winning now. So it's a very interesting pick, but it's a long-term pick. And Jeffrey Simmons, on talent alone, he's one of the better players in this draft class. He is probably one of the top 10 players in the class. So he's a steal at 19 based on his talent. 
Obviously, he had that incident before he joined the Mississippi State program where he was seen kicking a woman on the ground. He's been a model citizen ever since. Teams are obviously comfortable with that portion of his evaluation. But then he had the serious knee injury that he's now going to spend most of this upcoming season to recover. Were you a little surprised by this pick for Tennessee? I was, because as you said, you know, and as we've said on this podcast all along, he's not going to play for a while. You know, they do need a defensive tackle. This does strengthen their defensive line. I just don't know that it strengthens their defensive line in 2019. So, yeah, it was absolutely a uh, a bit of a shocker where they took him and the fact that he may not be playing football for a while. Now, the Broncos came onto the clock with the 20th overall pick that they got from the Pittsburgh Steelers in the Devin Bush trade. They ended up going with Noah Fant, the tight end out of Iowa, the second tight end out of Iowa taken, the second tight end overall taken as well. Now, obviously, he came into the season with a lot of hype, more so than teammate TJ Hawkinson, as we discussed before. But Fant really fell behind him as a prospect this year. But that's not to say anything negative about Fant, because he is an excellent athlete, really ripped up the combine. Plays like a wide receiver. A lot of people think maybe he could be a wide receiver just based on his athleticism. He's a little too big, in my opinion, for that. A little too good of a blocker as well. But Noah Fan is a definite player who can be a starting tight end at the NFL level. Denver needed a tight end after Jake Butt's injury woes. What do you think of this pick for the Broncos? Not surprised at it at all. I mean, in my first round mock, I had them taking TJ Hawkinson. It was known that they needed a tight end. They made a good trade, they got extra selections, and then they got their tight end for the future. So, uh, I, I mean, Drew Locke was still available to them, and all we had heard about was, and I had reported it, so I'm as guilty as anyone else, was that how much uh, John Elway liked Drew Locke. But to Elway's credit, you know, he went with, the, uh, w- with another position of need, with a guy who's a very good prospect, who has an incredible upside, uh, and Noah Fant. So I think the only surprising thing is they took Fant over Drew Locke, But I definitely think it's the better pick because I've been outspoken and saying how I think Drew Locke is overrated. And I think that Drew Locke is too much of a boomer bust type of quarterback prospect. Now, the 21st overall pick initially belonged to the Seattle Seahawks, who we had talked multiple times about their desire to trade down. They did just that, moving the pick to the Green Bay Packers in exchange for number 30 overall and two fourth-round selections this year. They ended up taking Darnell Savage as the top safety off the board. Now, we discussed earlier on our Draft Day podcast that Jonathan Abram was widely viewed as the top safety available, but we also threw some cold water on that rumor and mentioned both Savage and Juan Thornhill, two guys who performed well at the Senior Bowl and really, again, had a good pre-draft process, showed good athleticism, and Savage is a guy, just like Thornhill, who has the versatility to play safety, can also play cornerback as well, and teams are really valuing that versatility in the secondary. What do you think of this pick here for the Packers? Well, as you said, you know, we talked about Darnell Savage potentially being the first pick, uh, the first safety selected, and he was. I've got to tell you, I am really surprised that the Packers took him. I mean, you look in free agency. We talked about how they signed the pass rushers in free agency, and then they selected Rashawn Gary. They signed Adrian Amos to a decent-sized contract in free agency, and now they're taking a similar free, uh, free safety type of player in Darnell Savage. They loaded up on defensive backs in last year's draft, taking Jair Alexander and Josh Jackson. I thought it may have been more of an uh, an offensive type player with Green Bay, and they traded up to get uh, Darnell Savage. They traded up nine slots, so I, I I don't understand you know what the thinking is here. We'll have to wait and see how they use him. We'll have to wait and see how he plays. But again, when you look at what they did in free agency, you look at their needs, and you look at the fact that basically they repeated in the draft what they did in free agency, and in this case they traded up. I don't understand it. 
Now we had another trade here at the 22nd overall pick, which was originally belonging to the Baltimore Ravens. They moved it to the Philadelphia Eagles. They slid back three spots to number 25 overall, got picks in the fourth round, number 125, and the sixth round, number 197. And they ended up going, the Eagles, with Andre Dillard, a guy who we talked about being an option for the Bills at number nine, being an option for the Jags at number seven, an option for the Vikings to trade up for. He's a guy that is very high on our board, a guy you feel is eventually going to be the best left tackle from this draft. Tony, how great of a value pick is this, and what do you think of the trade up, the aggressive move that the Eagles made? Yeah, they only moved up three spots, and I think it's fantastic. I mean, I, I think Andre Dillard's going to be the best offensive lineman from this draft. I think, you know, he's absolutely a Philadelphia Eagles type of offensive lineman. He's tall. He's athletic. He moves well. He's great in pass protection. You know, they took Lane Johnson in, what, 2013, who was a great left tackle. They moved him to the right side. Jason Peters is going to be collecting Social Security checks before you know it. This is a fantastic pick by the Eagles to move up and get a starting left tackle. Outstanding. Outstanding job by the Eagles. I think he's a guy who's going to be a day one starter, and he's going to be there for a long time to come. Now, the second consecutive tackle came off the board here. At number 23, the Houston Texans selected Alabama State offensive tackle Titus Howard, a player that you said recently could end up breaking into the first round and being kind of a surprise pick there. Well, here we are. He is the surprise pick in the first round. A lot of people probably did not expect it and are very surprised. But again, Howard was a very good player at the small school level, really good at the senior bowl, played both tackle positions, played guard. So he has a lot of upside. He has versatility. There are a lot of options here with Titus Howard. What do you think about this pick to Houston? Well, first thing, obviously, what happened here was the Philadelphia Eagles knew that Andre Dillard would not get past the Houston Texans. So that's why they moved up. They flip-flop selections with the Baltimore Ravens so they can get Andre Dillard. As we reported on our Draft Day podcast, the Houston Texans were a team that I was told would be interested in moving up to get Andre Dillard. I don't know if they picked up the phone and called uh, Seattle who moved down or, or one of the other teams to see if they could move up to get Andre Dillard. It'll be fascinating to see if those talks took place. As far as the Titus Howard pick is concerned, listen, I like Howard a lot. I'm one of the first guys in the media to talk about Howard when I said he was going to get a senior bowl invite. And sure enough, two weeks later, he got a senior bowl invite. I was high on him uh, coming into the season. I was one of the first people to talk about him being a potential second round pick. And then as you mentioned, talked about him being a potential first-round pick. I still think this is early for Titus Howard. He's got an outstanding game. He's a terrific athlete. He's got a great amount of upside. But I'm sure they're going to throw him in the starting lineup real quick, and I think it's going to take him a while to get accustomed uh, to playing against NFL-type competition. Did a good job at the senior ball, as we saw. I mean, basically handled Montez Sweat. Three out of four plays, three plays in a row, he was able to handle Montez Sweat before he finally got beat by Sweat. You know, but... The Texans want somebody to come in and play right away. My concern is they're going to try and play Titus Howard right away, and it may not be pretty. I like him uh, a year or two down the road. We'll have to see what happens. I, I am surprised he went this early, though. Now, the Raiders came up again at pick number 24, and they took the third skill player off the board, the first non-tight end skill player off the board in Alabama running back Josh Jacobs. Now, he's a player we discussed as somebody that the Raiders were going to have interest in. You mocked him to the Raiders at number 35 in your draft. The podcast we did Thursday morning, you mentioned that he could be the pick at 27. The Raiders, in this case, said, you know what? 
we're not going to wait three more picks and possibly risk losing this guy. Marshawn Lynch just retired. Their backfield is not strong. Now it is with Josh Jacobs, who's really a true all-around threat. He's got the size to be a featured back. He's got the skill, the burst, the quickness. He makes plays in the passing game like he's a receiver. He can turn with the ball. He's very impressive in a lot of ways and was the consensus top running back on the board. This looks like a really good fit on paper. Tony, what do you think? Yeah, I'm sure they're looking at the Indianapolis Colts there at 26 as a team who could consider Josh Jacobs. But, you know, he comes into the league with not a lot of mileage because they basically ran a three-back rotation at Alabama. He's a tremendous athlete, was only able to run 4-6-2 during pro day. So he really doesn't run fast in the 40, but he plays fast. He shows enough speed to turn the perimeter. He's got a burst which is, enables him to beat defenders into the open field. I like his interior running. I like his ability to run to the outside. Decent pass catcher out of the backfield. He's going to get the ball a lot with Oakland. So now he's going to be the feature runner. He's going to have a lot more mileage on him at the end of the 2019 season than he had two years at Alabama. You know, this is a player that we knew they wanted. It was just a matter of when they were going to take him. I think they took him at 24 because the Ravens signed Mark Ingram in free agency. They didn't need a running back, but I think the Colts may have been considering him to upgrade their uh, running back position and help out Andrew Luck. Can't blame the Raiders. We knew they were going to take him. They took him a little bit earlier than we thought, but that's okay. And it was officially a mini run on skill players as the Ravens drafted Oklahoma wide receiver Marquise Brown at number 25 overall. It's quite possible he was going to be their pick at 22. So really a great job by new GM Eric DaCosta to add a couple day three flyers and still get his guy. Now Marquise Brown obviously is all about speed. Some were scared off by him weighing under 170 pounds at the combine, but he was coming off surgery then. He's back in the 170s now, which is still light. But Brown is a true burner. He also brings ability after the catch in the open field. He's a natural receiver who tracks the ball, adjusts to it. So he's really more than just speed, even if that's his truly elite trait. Do you like the fit of Brown with Lamar Jackson, Tony? They needed a receiver desperately. If you go back to our podcast immediately after the combine, I had said that the word was the Baltimore Ravens were going to draft one of two people in round one, either DK Metcalf or Marquis Brown. And they went with Marquis Brown. So, you know, I am concerned about his size. I'm concerned, a little bit concerned about his height. He's the type of guy that, you know, you're going to have to line him in the slot often to keep him off of press coverage. I do think he's going to uh, help Lamar Jackson. I mean, he's the type of guy that can outrun everybody. And uh, Lamar Jackson can just put the ball down the field for him. He's also a player that's going to help the uh, running game just by when he steps to the line of scrimmage, opposing safeties are going to have to move a few yards back to guard against the deep throw. So we knew that he was the consensus first round pick at the receiver position. He was the first receiver selected and he went to a receiver needy team. So I think the fact that they were able to get him after trading down a few slots is a good move by the Ravens. Now we had another trade at number 26. The Redskins did end up trading up in the draft after all. It just was to number 26 rather than into the top 10. Washington gave up pick 46 and their 2022nd round pick to select Montez Sweat out of Texas A&M. Now we reported that Sweat was red flagged for a minor heart condition at the combine. Reports came out earlier Thursday that it may have actually been a misdiagnosis. But by this time, Sweat was reportedly off some boards around the league. So it seems like Washington made another shrewd move here to move up for the athletic pass rusher who other teams had kind of dismissed due to this possible misdiagnosis. I'm glad that Montez Sweat was selected in round one. As we said in our draft day podcast, I really wasn't sure what was going to happen. I had heard from some people that he would only lose a few spots in his draft grade because of the heart condition. I heard from others that he could fall out of round one altogether. 
we kind of got a happy medium here. It's a good pick by the Redskins who needed a pass rusher. They get their quarterback. They get their pass rusher. I hope it works out for Sweat. He's a hardworking guy. He's got to get a little bit bigger, which will improve his play against the run. But he's a natural pass rusher, which the Redskins needed. And I think they now have a nice combination there with Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne on the inside, and Wontez Sweat coming off the edge. Now, Oakland's third pick of round one, the one they got from Dallas in the Amari Cooper trade, turned into Jonathan Abram, the safety out of Mississippi State, who many thought would be the top player at his position drafted. Obviously, that was Darnell Savage. In this case, Abram ends up being the second safety off the board. He's an explosive hitter, shows some ability in zone coverage. Do you like this pick for Oakland, Tony? I thought they would have gone for a cornerback, but yeah, sure. I mean, he is definitely a Raiders type of player. He's a hard hitter. He's an intimidator. He's a forceful safety. His ball skills are okay. They're pretty average compared to Darnell Savage and Juan Thornhill. But still, I mean, he brings it up the field. He plays smart, aggressive football. He plays Oakland Raiders football, really, to to pare it down. Uh, The 28th pick to the San Diego Chargers. Finally, a pick that wasn't traded. This was their initial pick from their finish towards the end of the playoffs here. They went with Notre Dame defensive tackle Jerry Tillery. Now, Tony and I were both recently on the Believe in L.A. football podcast and discussed both the Chargers and the Rams. Tillery was one guy that came up for both teams. He's got a lot of upside, but really had an up-and-down career with the Irish. But it's an interesting pick, Tony. How do you feel about it? Phil's a need, good player, great potential, just needs to improve the consistency. I thought it was an outstanding pick for him. You know, Tillery and most drafts would have gone much earlier, but because of the depth and the quality at the defensive line position, he found himself in the bottom part of round one. I think it's an excellent pick by the Chargers. You know, if you can light a fire into Tillery and get him to consistently play at the level that he has the ability to play at, you got to knock out defensive tackle there. I mentioned Tillery as a steal because of the depth along the defensive line. Now, the Seahawks were up at number 29 with the pick that they got in the Frank Clark trade. They took TCU defensive end Lawrence Collier, who doesn't really strike as a steal, more of a guy who was going to be available possibly in the second round. We had a second round grade on him. He's a hardworking player, but he's a bit of a surprise here. He may be physically tapped out, isn't really a great athlete. Tony, what do you think of this pick? Uh, You know, you said he's physically tapped out. He is a hardworking guy. You know what you're getting. He had three good days of practice at the senior ball. I think that's where he turned some heads. But again, I thought there were better players available. You know, there were still some cornerbacks on the board that I think would have helped Seattle. A couple of uh, receivers if they want to look in that direction. I like what Seattle did trading down to get extra selections. I don't know that Collier is going to replace the uh, pass rush that was lost when they traded away Frank Clark earlier this week. I just think that this is a guy that really, if they really wanted him, you know, they could have traded down again out of the first round to get him. There was some late talk about Collier going in round one. Obviously, those who mentioned it were right. I just think that this is a bit of a reach. Now, the Giants traded back into round one again. Normally, this is a move for a quarterback when a team gives up an early second round pick, jumps into the back end of round one to get the fifth year option on a player. Obviously, New York got its guy in Daniel Jones at number six. So this wasn't a quarterback driven trade. They give up pick 37, pick 132 and pick 142 to move up to 30. And they selected George's DeAndre Baker. Now, he's a guy we've been down on throughout the process. A guy really through the draft process as a whole really didn't impress. A lot of teams were turned off by his character, turned off by his work ethic, really didn't like what he put out there. But Tony, I know you didn't even like him really on film as a player. So how disappointed are you in this pick, especially with the Giants trading up to pick Baker? 
I would have never made it. You know, I never had DeAndre Baker graded as a first-round pick, so this is a bit of a surprise to me, the fact that they traded up to get him. The fact that, you know, he was the first cornerback off the board, and you really had guys, Byron Murphy was still available, Rocky Sin still available, Greedy Williams still available. There would have been good cornerbacks available to the Giants when they were called to the clock in round two, which really was what? Some six picks after, seven picks after where they uh, took DeAndre Baker. I just thought that there was a lot to give up. It was a bit of an unnecessary move for a guy who I don't rank very highly. We'll have to see what happens. It does fill a need because they, they needed a cornerback. We'll see what happens. Now, the Falcons moved up here to the 31st overall pick with the Los Angeles Rams, who we had been discussing as a team that really wanted to trade out of the first round. This is, again, another good spot for a quarterback, but the Falcons don't need a quarterback. They moved up from pick 45. They gave up pick 79 to do it to get to 31. They also got pick 203 back later on in the draft, and they selected Washington offensive tackle Caleb McGarry, the first player with a third-round grade on our board to end up going in the first round here. He's a player with good strength, good technique. There's some health questions surrounding him, and he's probably a right tackle only at the next level. Not that that's an issue when you take a player at the end of the first round. Still a very valuable position and one that they needed to fill. But how does this pick strike you, Tony? You know, another guy like LJ Collier, who had a terrific senior ball, and I think he was drafted in a large part off the strength of his senior ball, I had him as a third rounder primarily because I think he's got athletic limitations. He's got short arms as well. And he had that. Uh, some people were concerned about the heart issue. I guess the Atlanta Falcons weren't. I think I'm also surprised because I was led to believe that it was going to be a defensive heavy draft for the Atlanta Falcons. And what they do, I, I think they reach for two offensive linemen in the first round. So I like McGarry as a player. I just don't know that you had to trade back into the bottom of round one to, to uh, select him. The final pick of the first round belonged to the New England Patriots, a team that generally trades back. They did not trade back here, which means they really like the player they took. They got Nikhil Harry, wide receiver out of Arizona State, a player that really ran faster than expected at the Combine. A lot of people have been very high on Harry since his freshman year with the Sun Devils. His speed at the Combine in the 4.5s when people were rumoring that he was going to be in the 4.6s, maybe even 4.7, likely played a big part in him sneaking into the first round here. He's a big receiver who makes plays after the catch, really has had good production since he stepped on the field as a freshman. Tony, how do you feel about another weapon here for the Patriots? Well, it's kind of ironic. If you listen to our draft day podcast, we said that after Marquis Brown, only two other receivers or one of two other receivers would go in round one. It would be either A.J. Brown or Nikhil Harry. And I mentioned A.J. Brown as a receiver that the Patriots liked. Well, I guess it was the other guy, Nikhil Harry. Harry is a human highlight reel film. I mean, he makes some amazing catches. He was the main target at Arizona State that opponents could not stop. As you mentioned, he probably ran a good almost two-tenths to uh, 0.15 seconds faster in the 40 than anyone expected at the Combine. And the Combine is about expectations. I like his game. I think he's going to do well with New England, and kudos for, to, to them for uh, selecting him. Now, Tony, obviously, since we had several players ranked in the second and even the third round on our board go here in the first round, there's going to be lots of value available, lots of highly rated players. Who are the top guys remaining on our board for you, and who do you expect to kind of go early on round two here and be a steal? Well, the first one would be Jawan Taylor, who's ranked number 16. But as we mentioned, and actually, as we actually broke – on our podcast about three weeks ago, Jawan Taylor's got some uh, medical red flags. And I was told early on 
that he received a, a couple of rejections from teams. It's an issue with the knee. It's an issue with the back. It's an issue with weight fluctuations. And those issues reared their ugly head tonight because everyone thought maybe Jacksonville at seven, middle of the first round. First round's over. Juwan Taylor's still available. So at this point in time, it's where does the reward overtake the risk of the medical issues with Juwan Taylor? There's Greedy Williams is still available. And a lot of people thought he was going to fall in the first round. I'm told there are some medical concerns with Greedy Williams. Didn't go on, on any of his visits that he was invited to, the ofi- official 30 visits. I thought that was very questionable. So I, I think that's come back to uh, bite him in the rear. Byron Murphy's still out there. We had Byron Murphy graded as our second cornerback and our 19th overall rated player. You know, Byron Murphy, I think, has got the most polished ball skills of any cornerback in this draft, much better than uh, DeAndre Baker. But again, came into the combine 190 pounds, which was 14 pounds heavier than his playing weight. Ran a mediocre 4'5". You know, he's under six foot tall. He's barely five foot ten and a half. You know, teams are a little bit concerned. Is he too light to play at the next level? I still think he should have been selected in round one. Didn't have any medical issues. He's got great ball skills. Uh, he's still a young guy, so obviously, eventually, he'll physically mature. But I guess that size and height really sent up red flags for teams. Cody Ford sliding out of round one. Not that surprised about Cody Ford. I had him in my mock draft going late first round. He's kind of an acquired taste in the sense that, you know, he's a bigger guy. Is he going to be a tackle? Is he going to be a guard? I never thought he was going to go to Atlanta at 14, as some people were saying. I thought he's more of a bottom of uh, round one guy. I would expect him to come off the board somewhere in the uh, top half of round two. Two other guys I'm kind of surprised of. Uh, not being selected in round one, obviously Rock Yassin, because uh, everything I heard led me to believe that he was going to be a first round choice. And then, of course, Drew Locke is still available. Drew Locke has not been selected in round one. I'm not totally surprised by that. I'm not totally surprised by that because, as I said during interviews, I would never have taken Drew Locke in the first round. There was just too much inconsistency in his game. At the top of his game, he looks like a franchise quarterback. But all too often, he's making head-scratching passes. He's way off the mark. As I've said throughout this entire process, Drew Locke, to me, is your prototypical boom-or-bust type of prospect at the quarterback position, and that's always a danger. And obviously, the NFL agreed with you because, as I said, with some of those trades back into the end of the first round, those are normally reserves for quarterbacks in a lot of scenarios because teams want that extra year of control since those players can get so expensive when it comes time for their second contract. So it's kind of telling that no team traded back into the end of the first round when there are obviously teams willing to move down to select a guy like Drew Luck. Obviously, as you said, he has the upside of a franchise quarterback. You can argue he has maybe the second highest or even the highest upside in this draft class. But the inconsistency he shows, the lack of production against some of the better opponents he's played, regardless of whether Missouri is really, you know, considered a team that's putting a lot of talent around him to match up with those better teams. It's still a bad look for Drew Locke that nobody traded back into the first round to get him. I do expect him to go off the board early on day two, but really just not a good sign. You know, listen, truth be told. I had to hold my nose and put a first-round grade on Drew Locke. If you look at him on my board, he's, he's graded as the 30th player. So I barely had a first-round grade on him. There were people putting him in the top five. I never thought he was that type of quarterback. I, I mean, as I've said all along with Drew Locke, if you were able to develop him and you're able to get him to play at a consistently high level, you've got a good starting quarterback on your hands. Otherwise, you could have Blaine Gabbard on your hands.
Now, Tony, before we wrap up here, let's take a look at the best value and the biggest shockers to us so far in the first round. I'll go first. For me, best value is really Ed Oliver, a guy who was going to be talked about as a pick for the Jets at number three, a pick for the Raiders at number four. The Bills were even discussed as a team looking to trade up for him, as were the Atlanta Falcons. Ed Oliver ends up falling to the ninth overall pick, which seems weird to call somebody a steal when he goes in the top 10. But when you're constantly rumored to be a top five pick and when you have the talent level that he does to deserve being a top five pick, it is really surprising. And Buffalo fans should really be excited to see what he can do on the inside of that offensive line. The biggest shocker to me, probably Caleb McGarry. I did not expect to see his name going across the board here on Thursday night. There were some other surprises, certainly, but he's the biggest one. I could at least see a guy like DeAndre Baker going, even though we weren't particularly high on him. You could at least understand that other teams might be. But for me, Caleb McGarry was so far off my radar personally that I'm very, very surprised at that pick. What about you, Tony? As far as Ed Oliver is concerned, not only is it, was it a value pick, it was also an outstanding fit in Buffalo. I think my best value pick was the Philadelphia Eagles taking Andre Dillard. I've said all along, I think that Andre Dillard is going to turn out to be the best offensive lineman for, to come from this draft. I think he's the most natural left tackle. I think he was an absolute steal where the Eagles got him at 22. I think the fact that they moved up, what, three, four spots to get him. They got a day one starter at left tackle and a guy who could be there for years on end. My biggest shocker is going to be LJ Collier. Uh, Again, I mean, I like him as a player. He was terrific at the senior bowl. He's very good on film, had a great pro day workout. But I, I just don't think a guy with that sort of measurables goes in, in the first round. I know he people saying he's a Seattle Seahawk type of player, but I think they could have traded down again out of round one and then got him in the top half of round two. And that's all for the 55th episode of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. Obviously, it was quite the eventful first round Thursday, even if there were no big trades until the 10th overall pick. And obviously, we still have two days of action left. And there are important days where championship teams are truly built. Everyone gets a good player in the first round for the most part. But a team that hits on a late round pick or adds solid depth and guys that can really contribute to a roster, those are the picks that really make a team and really help out once you get deep into the playoffs. So we're really looking forward to see what transpires here over the next two days. On behalf of Tony Pauline, this is Chris Tripodi, signing off.